1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And while you're turning there, young people, you can meet Sister Fishburne in the back, our youth class, and have a great time in youth class today. At least I think they will. First Corinthians chapter four. Verse five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. Verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Verse 18 says, Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know. Not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Verse 21, What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? I'm going to preach this morning. Would you rather would you rather Jesus name let's put our Bibles down let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning God we love you we magnify you we thank you we praise you God we give you glory for everything that you have ever done for us God whether we have known it or whether it has been unknown God, whether you did it in front of us or whether it was behind the scenes, something you kept us from or kept from us, God, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. God, I thank you that you are a caring, loving Father. God, I thank you that you have our best interest in mind. And God, I pray that your best interest would unfold in our lives today. God, I pray that your will would be done in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory today in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you look at your neighbor and ask them, say, would you rather? 
Would you rather? You can be seated this morning. Would you rather? It was a game that many of us played as children. Would you rather do this or would you rather do that? You don't have a third option. Would you rather eat raw green beans or would you rather eat raw onion? Would you rather kiss a pig or would you rather kiss the neighbor girl? Choose the pig every time. Would you rather slide down a razor blade or walk barefoot across nails? Silly, stupid questions. Would you rather? Would you rather have your eyebrows shaved Well, never mind. Would you rather? Would you rather? Would you rather? It's silly. It's simple. It's, for lack of a better term, pointless. Asking silly, silly questions. Would you rather be sprayed by a skunk or so on and so forth? And as a kid, you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't want to do any of those things, but which would be the better option? Sometimes there just aren't better options between the questions. Say, man, I'd just rather not play this game. I'd just rather have none of those things ever happen to me or come true and so on and so forth. But we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that Paul is not playing games. He is not playing games at all. He's writing to the church at Corinth knowing he's heard. He has heard from good sources, reliable, reputable sources that there are some things going on in the church at Corinth. And he's writing to the Corinthian church and he is being their pastor. He's being their apostle. He's being their bishop. He's, he's being a voice for God or the voice of God in their lives. He asks them some questions. He reprimands them and in verse 14 we get the image that he has addressed the sin. He said, I'm not writing these things to shame you. However, I cannot allow these things to go on. If there is sin, that it has to be dealt with. He's saying, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons. And we understand he's also meaning sons and daughters. As my beloved children in the gospel, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through 
the gospel. He's saying that means that my voice takes priority over every other instructing voice in your life. That means that the voice of your pastor takes precedence over every podcast. It takes precedence over every YouTube channel. It takes precedence over every article. It takes precedence over every email. It takes precedence over every conference speaker, every conference message. He's saying, I need you to understand that they might be instructors, but they are not your father. They are not your pastor. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel I've been given a responsibility for your soul wherefore I beseech you be you followers of me for this cause have I sent unto you Timothy my beloved son he's faithful in the Lord who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. He's saying the things that you're going to hear Timothy say are the same things that I would say because I've put it in him and he's not interested in speaking or preaching any other doctrine, any other gospel, any other message. He's saying he's going to be speaking the same things to you that I have put into him. He said, and it's not just what I've put into him, it's not just what I've preached to you, but it's what I've preached every single place I've ever been, every other church that I have been in. This is the same thing that I am preaching to them so it's not like I'm isolating you it's not like I'm trying to poke fun at you I'm not writing these things to shame you but I'm trying to get you beyond the place where you are I'm trying to get you pulled up I'm trying to get you delivered from the mess that you're in I'm trying to pull you out of the crime I'm trying to pull you out of the sin I'm trying to pull you out of the clutches of Satan's snares I'm I'm trying to pull you out of hell's fire. I'm trying to get you where you need to be in Christ. And so I've not just preached it to you. I've preached it everywhere I have been. Some are puffed up. Some are mad. Anytime you're dealing with people, you're going to make them mad sometimes. He said, they're puffed up thinking I'm not going to come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. And will know not the speech of them which are puffed up. He said, when I get there, you're not going to hear the words of somebody that's just a hireling filling a spot because pastor's out of town. You're not going to hear the voice of somebody who has just slipped in and taken the opportunity because the Apostle Paul is on some other missionary journey. He's saying, but when I get there, I am going to get you to hear the voice of God, the voice of power. For the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not about the words that I speak necessarily, but it is a kingdom of power. So please, he's getting them ready. He is preparing them for when he comes. He's saying, when I get there, you're going to hear some preaching. In fact, it might be some preaching that you may not like. But when I get there, know that I'm operating in the kingdom of God. What will ye? He's saying, I'm giving you a choice. Would you rather? Would you rather? 
Shall I come unto you with a rod? Make no mistake, I'm coming to you as a father. No matter which option you choose, I'm coming as your spiritual father. But how a leader comes to the people is oftentimes predicated on the attitude of the person. It is predicated upon the attitude of the people. And so Paul is asking them, what do you want? I'm giving you a choice. I'm coming to you as a father. Shall I come as a father comes with a rod? As he's going to inflict punishment as in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of the eyes neither reprove after the hearing of the ears but with righteousness shall he judge the poor he's not going to judge based solely upon what he sees he's not going to judge based solely upon what he hears but there is a spirit of righteousness that he is going to use to judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked we see both attributes both approaches in Isaiah chapter 11 he's preaching in the day when the poor were abused when the poor were taken advantage of when they had no rights and Isaiah is saying when Messiah comes he's going to judge righteously and what that means is that if the poor are coming with a meek and a contrite spirit that he's going to protect them and and use the rod on those who abused them with his word which is his scepter it is the rod of his power we find in Psalm 110 and verses 1 and 2 the Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my right hand or sit in the place of power ultimate divine power until I make thine enemies thy footstool the Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion rule thou in the midst of thine enemies no doubt today we have a God who rules in power we have a God who rules in dominion we have a God who has all power both in heaven and in earth and he is not a God who is afraid to use his power but we find God through the the Apostle Paul teaching a lesson not just to the Corinthians but to the entire church world would you rather this rod is his word which Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of 
the heart. He's saying not only is it a rod, but it is also a sword. And it is also not just a two-edged sword. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a surgical instrument that can be used to cut to the quick of the matter. It can be used to separate that which mankind has a hard time separating. It's not just a physical surgical tool. It's, it goes way beyond that. It's a spiritual surgical tool it dives into the heart of men and women into the thoughts the intents of the heart and so we find that God is well able by the preaching that he uses to subdue the world to himself the same word that brings salvation also brings destruction the same word that brings encouragement also brings condemnation. The same word that brings salvation to mankind also brings destruction to his enemies. We find in 2 Thessalonians Paul's writing of the end time. We're going to go to verse 8, but let me lay some groundwork here. He's saying as long as the church is in the world, the church is pushing back the forces of hell. As long as you and I are here, as long as we are filled with the Spirit of God, as long as we're having church, as long as we're being the church, we're not just having church services, we are being the church. The Spirit of God is moving through us. We are pushing back darkness. But Paul is saying once the Spirit is no longer working, once the church is raptured, once the church is taken out and taken up and taken out of the world, then, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, then shall the wicked be revealed, that wicked, the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Make no mistake today that you and I being the church is keeping hell's plans on the back burner. As long as you and I are being spirit-filled, we are combating Satan's plan to imitate and try to overthrow. But even though the power of the Antichrist will expand and will grow rapidly, the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul, rest assured that God will deal with him in the harshest of fashions, that his end will be utter destruction, that the Word of God will have the final say. Would you rather? Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. There's all kinds of perversion in that church. Sexual sin. Reveling. There's tens of thousands of members and the church is growing and so on and so forth. But the problem was they were listening to instructors that were allowing things to reside and stay in the church 
when the church's responsibility is to drive out sin. We don't come into the church and then just continue to live like the world. But when we come into the church, there is a repentance that happens. There is a turning away. And there is a becoming. I'm not living like... That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect day one. In fact, none of us are perfect. But what it means is I'm continually making strides. But they had stopped making strides and Paul is writing to them and he's saying listen this cannot go on any longer I'm coming to you I'm on my way I'll be there shortly and I'm giving you an opportunity to choose how I deal with the sin Revelation 2, verse 18, And unto the the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Verse 18 begins the message to the church in Thyatira. It's actually the longest of the messages to the churches in Revelation. Verse 19, he says, I know thy works. Listen to this. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works again. And the last to be more than the first. I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I know your charity. I know your love for people. I know your service. I know your faith. I know your patience and so on and so forth. And it sounds like Thyatira's got it going on. It sounds like they're really doing church things. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Idols, rather, I gave her space to repent. He's not talking at this point about the physical Jezebel. He's talking about the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel, rather, in Revelation, there are two. There are two women. That are mentioned. The first is Sarah, who the Bible claims and, and tells us that she has beauty unlike any other. But it's not a beauty that just begins on the outside. It is on the outside. She's a beautiful woman, but it begins on the inside. It begins with something called inward holiness. To the point where the glory of God is so evident in her life and there's a beauty of holiness that accompanies living for God. Which is why we don't have to have our women paint their faces. Because the beauty of holiness radiates far greater than any man-made substance, than any man-made make-up. I don't have to make up and I don't have to make believe if I am living a holy lifestyle. And so you have Sarah on one hand who is the image of a godly woman through which an entire nation would be 
born, a promised son would then produce 12 tribes or would produce Israel and who would produce 12 tribes and, and on down the line until Jesus Christ himself would be born through that lineage. But then on the other hand, you have Jezebel who is a false prophetess whose life is revolving around idolatry. Her life, her purpose in life was to bring in false religion and she's got uh, she's got places in her false temples and, and, and her temples to the false gods and idol worship. She's got rooms where there's sex parties going on and, and all kinds of nastiness, all kinds of lewdness and the babies that are born out of those ungodly relationships are then sacrificed to the idols. She's everything that's ungodly, everything that's impure. God is speaking and he's saying, she's taught my church to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. She's taught them to go away from me, to partake in things that are not godly. You can hear the language, it's, he's not happy. Read verse 21. I gave her space to repent. The only way out was repentance. She repented. Behold, I'll cast her into a bed. Them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, kill her children. All the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not stopped which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. He's writing to the church as a whole. And he's saying, I've tried to get her to repent. There's some things going on that are seducing them away from truth. They're partaking in some things that are pulling them away from me, that are pulling them out of the church. I've given them space to repent, but they won't. And so there's judgment that's coming upon them, except they repent if they find a place in, in their judgment on the earth. They find space to repent. Then we'll, we'll talk again, but, but I'm, I, I'm, I've I've done all that I can with them right now. And he goes on and he starts talking to the rest of the church at Thyatira. He's saying some of you have not fallen into the seduction of the depths of Satan. And to you, God is saying, hold on. To them, God is preaching through John the Revelator. He's saying, tell them, John, not to give in. Tell them not to throw in the towel. Tell them, God's 
they've been kept from sin. They've kept themselves from sin. Stay away from the sin. Doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it. You stay away from it. Hold on until I come. Let me preach to us as a body, as a church in these last days when other places, other assemblies are opening their doors and opening their platforms to accept anything and everything just to fill a space because they don't want anybody to feel bad about their sin. Let me preach to us today. We cannot afford to give in to the spirit of the world that says we're just going to love everybody in their sin listen we're going to love everybody but we're going to hate sin we're going to abhor sin if they come in the doors and they've got all kinds of mess we're going to love them we're going to love them we're going to love them they're not going to know that we hate their sin when they walk in those doors but we're creating an atmosphere that pulls them out of the fire and pulls them to an altar and pulls them into redemption That verse that we read in 1 Corinthians, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time. That doesn't mean, it does not mean that the church is not to judge. In fact, the Word of God says that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. How I do it, And why I do it. The mode, method of judgment is important. Judgment does begin at the house of the Lord. So Paul is writing and he's saying there is sin. I'm not going to ignore that. I cannot, will not ignore the sin that's going on. He addresses it. He's saying, I'm not writing these things to shame you. I'm I'm writing these things to try to get you to understand that you're not being pleasing to God right now. I'm I'm, I'm trying to get you to see that if God came back right now, you would spend eternity in hell. That sin really does separate us from God. Sin really does condemn us to an eternal misery that was created for Satan and his fallen angels alone. But when sin entered into the world, the door was then open for sinners that except they repent, will likewise perish. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Would you rather 
would you would you rather me come with a rod? I mean, I know that today's generation outside the church probably doesn't know anything about getting a spanking. And there's a difference. We know that. I shouldn't have to clarify that, but we do. There's a difference between discipline and abuse. I grew up getting spankings, and I didn't like any of them. I didn't like any of them. In fact, I should have gotten a lot more than I did, but I didn't like any of them. And so Paul is giving the Corinthian church an option. He's saying, would you rather me come with a rod? I'm coming as a father either way. Would you rather have the rod? Or would you rather me come in love and in the spirit of meekness? Would you rather me come with a rod or as a father would come when his love for the child overcomes his anger, his disappointment in the faults of the child? Either way, we are not denying that there is sin. Understand that. Either way, either approach is not denying that there is sin. Either approach does not deny that there's an issue that we've got to work on. Neither approach denies the fact that we are not becoming as a, or we're not acting becoming of a child of God our actions are betraying our heart right now there's there's some sin that's got to be dealt with how would you like it to be dealt with let me just be your pastor for a moment your attitude toward your sin affects how we deal with it. How we handle our mistakes matters. Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That's the side that's got the rod. There's sin and we're going to deal with it. But then the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. They've got sin in their life. But how they respond to the sin matters. How they respond to their mistakes matter how God deals with it. Would you rather have the rod or would you rather have him come as a loving father and say, you know what? I know there's sin, but I see that there's some godly sorrow that worketh unto repentance. We can deal with this. I don't have to cut you off. We can deal with this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's the loving arm of the Father that pulls you from where you are. Oh, I see you, honey. I know you made some mistakes. And he picks you up 
and he walks you to an altar and he kneels down with you and says, okay, let's pray about this. Lord, I've got some things going on in my world. I've got some sin issues. I need you to help me deal with it. But if we refuse, if we get stiff-necked, if we get hard-hearted and a callous nose and say, I don't think it's wrong. It affects how God deals with sin. I just act like it didn't happen. It affects how God deals with it. Paul's heaven that his writer not writing this to shame you. I imagine the guy with the pen has experienced some blushing as Paul calls out their sin. The guy stops. Man, there's incest in the Corinthian church. Wow. Paul's still talking got to shake himself. Okay. He's right. He's right. But I'm not writing these things to shame you. And you hear words come from Paul's mouth and the epistles and, and, and fornicators and idolaters and lovers of themselves more than lovers of truth or lovers of pleasure more than lovers of truth and so on and so forth. And, and Paul's not afraid to, to list sin. Paul's not afraid to talk about sin. But he's, he goes on and says, but such were some of you. But you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified. He's saying, I'm not afraid to deal with sin, but when, we come, when it comes time to deal with sin, how you respond matters. I can deal with it with a rod, but that's not what I want to have to do. You can hear it in the language. What will you? What would you rather me do? Would you rather me come with a rod? I really wish that by the time you get this letter and by the time I show up, you found a place to pray and found some godly sorrow that worketh under repentance so we can deal with this and we can move on. Would you rather... The choice doesn't seem to be that hard. What would you rather me do? Would you rather me, as your pastor, have to pull it out of you and have to go behind your back to try to figure out what the truth is because you won't share the truth? How would you like me to have to deal with it? Paul's writing to them from the position of the pastor with the words of God in his mouth. Paul's saying what God is saying. How would you rather me deal with it? And I'm not preaching this today because there's sin going on that I know of. I'm just saying when the time comes in your life and we've got to deal with some issues, how would you rather me have to deal with it? How would you rather me be able to deal with it? Believe it or not, I don't like browbeating. I don't particularly care for the feel of the rod. I'd much rather 
be able to say, we left the situation crying and weeping together and praying and repenting and pleading the blood of Jesus over the situation. But that kind of thing can't happen if I feel like I have to pull teeth to figure out the answers. I'm not preaching this to shame you. I'm not writing this to shame you. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when we're going to meet face to face. And and the fluff has got to get out of the way. The puffed up has got to get out of the way. And the rubber is going to meet the road. How would you rather we deal with the issues that's going on? The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry though. And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart. They're ready. They're broken. They found a place of repentance. And the Lord is standing there as he does with each and every one of us. And he's ready to hear. He sees the mistake as it happens. He knows the sin has been committed. But he's standing there with a rod in one hand and a ready ear on the other side. And He's ready to hear the plea of brokenness. God, I messed up again. God, I made a mistake. How would you rather God be able to deal? He's ready to hear. And save he's close even when you don't feel him even though it seems he's a long ways away he's near to all men for in him we live in him we move and in him we have our being he's in the room with you when you sin Hold us stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? How would you rather me deal with the situation? He's nigh to them that have a broken heart, saveth them, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit, those whose spirits are truly humbled under the hand of God. They know there's sin. They know they've messed up. They know they've made mistakes. And we have all made mistakes. We have all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But if my heart is subdued, if I get my wits about me and I pull myself back together and I say, listen! not happy about that sin. If I can command my soul to bless the Lord, then I'm going to command my soul. I'm not happy with you. I'm not happy with what just happened. I'm not happy that we just fell into sin. I'm not happy that I just made mistakes. And God is standing there when we have a contrite spirit. 
that doesn't give us a license to sin. If I'm truly repentant, I don't want to keep going back and going back. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. How I handle my mistakes matters. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He's saying, I'm sitting in a heavenly place. And the Bible tells us that you and I can sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it takes a matter of being a certain level of brokenness, a certain level of humble. Uh, humility. It takes a contrite and humble spirit in order to live in that place with him. What does that mean? That means my heart is not untouchable. That means my spirit is not out of the realm where God can... I I don't have a problem with God coming in and saying, hey, there's some sin going on here. How I deal with my sin matters. How I deal with my mistakes matter. I want to be a man who is able to feel the the smiting of God's spirit. I want to be the kind of person that can fall upon the grace of God and say, God, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I want you to deal with this in a manner. You see, fit. I want to be in a position where he can come to me as a loving father, full of gentleness and full of meekness. But that's not always the way that he comes. If I'm, if I'm hard-headed about my sin, if I've got uh, sin in my life that I won't admit to, if I've got things in my spirit that I don't want uh, uh, to acknowledge, then he cannot come to me in meekness. He cannot come to me in gentleness. He's got to come with me, uh, to me with the rod and he's got to smite me with the rod and I've got to feel it. I've got to feel some pain in order to be able to acknowledge that there's sin. Listen folks he's coming either way as a father but would you rather him come with a rod or would you rather him come with the love and the gentleness and the meekness. The Lord will prepare the way for those who trust in him. He will revive a heart that is full of humility and repentance. First Samuel 15, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. He's acknowledging there's an issue. Yeah, I went and fought against Amalek. Everybody else was utterly destroyed, but I brought back Agag. And, you know, the people, all of the sheep, the oxen, and so on, that should have been destroyed, they actually brought those back. But they did it with good reason. 
They responded that way in good reason. He's justifying his disobedience. They, they brought them back to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. He's trying to schmooze Samuel. It's as if he was coming in and he was saying, you know what, Samuel, we're just going to write a bigger tithe check to cover the sin. You want your God to be blessed, don't you? Samuel squares his shoulders and looks up into the eyes of Saul. Half the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Behold, thou hast, I'm sorry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You can read down through the scripture. Samuel looks around and he says, does anybody have a sword? We've got to deal with this sin and it's not going to be pretty because how it was presented if I present my sin with justification, if I present my sin with arrogance and pride and say this is why I disobeyed. Listen, it doesn't matter why you disobey the word of God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And honey, I don't care how big your tithe checks are. I don't care how big your offerings are. You're not going to starve me out. You're not going to starve the next pastor out. You're not it doesn't justify sin Saul would you rather would you rather Samuel looks around for a sword he says bring me Agag we're dealing with this sin now Sweet Samuel, whose mom brought him a coat every year. Sweet little Samuel boy, who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Grabs that sword and chops Agag, a king, to pieces. In front of God and Saul and everyone. I'm closing. What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? You can feel the emotion of these last few words of Paul. Paul's saying, please, find a spot to pray. Please. I I've got to come and we've got to deal with this. Because it's sin, it's wrong, we've got to deal with it. We can't just ignore it. We've got to deal with it. 
How do you want me to come? Can happen one of two ways. I could come in like Samuel and swing the sword and chop out what needs to be chopped out. Or if you'll let God work through the or prayer, if you'll let God work through this letter, if you'll let God work through the message, then when the sin is standing there being accused, when, 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 we're, when we're dealing with it, we can deal with it in a different way. We can allow the Word of God to come in in that surgical manner and peel out what needs to be peeled out. And like the good Samaritan can pour in oil and wine and bind up the wounds and put you on his own beast and walk you to the end and say, listen, we got some issues. We need a bed. We need some more gauze. We got some things that need to be addressed. Paul's warning them. He's saying, my, my godly reaction to the sin I'm hearing of is to grab the rod. He said, my reaction to what I'm hearing is not pleasant. But if you were to change your perspective on this sin, if you were to have a repentant heart, then it could be dealt with in a different way. Matthew 21 and 42, as we stand. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is, a, and is, it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When I come to Jesus, who is the stone which was rejected by the builders but he's saying it's now the head of the corner when I come to Jesus and I bring my sin and I willingly and freely acknowledge God I've got some problems I need you to help me with and I fall on Jesus that repentance doesn't feel pleasant that conviction doesn't feel pleasant but it brokenness doesn't feel pleasant however those upon whom the judgment of God falls the Bible says it's like being ground in the powder would you rather would you rather me bring the rod Or would you rather me walk in with love and meekness and gentleness? Saul, I don't care about the sacrifice. I don't care about justification. 
Then we find those were sins of omission. Things that Saul should have done that he didn't do. We find somebody like David who had committed sin. The sin of murder. The sin of adultery. Sins that took a man's life and his wife. But when the prophet comes, David falls on the rock and is broken and is still in the lineage of Jesus Christ because how we respond to sin matters. I'm asking us today, What method of approach would you rather have in your life? We're not going to take the time to read it, but in Isaiah you can find that he says plainly people's disobedience makes them vulnerable to bondage and captivity. But later on Isaiah would say, but I'm, I'm going to go looking for the Lord. I want a different outcome in my life. I don't want the rod. I don't want the stone to fall on me. I want my heart sensitive to the things of God, the ways of God, the plans of God. I don't want to be drawn to sin. I want to be drawn to the things that that are of God. But when I sin, because I'm going to sin, I want to be able to deal with it quickly, as painlessly as possible, and move on. What would you prefer? you prefer as we lift our hands we close our eyes God I want you to be able to work in my life I don't want it to have to be embarrassing I don't want it to have to be public God I want to be able to overcome the issues of my life in private between you and me or between you and I and the pastor God I don't want to ignore it and everybody know that there's issues in my life God I, I, I want you to be able to deal with it in a loving and a gentle way where we can just repair the breach and, and be stronger for it and move on how are you going to respond 